Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Diana Alt in Independence, Missouri. If you haven't listened to the previous episode on the 1989 murder of Sarah Jo DeLeon, you might want to skip back and give it a listen. Because these two cases have several things and one person in common. Things are going to make a whole lot more sense if you listen to Sarah's case first. And with that being said, let's get right to it. Let's pick up right where we left off. It was 1994, and Carolyn Kuhn had called her ex-boyfriend Matt Euland after years of no contact. And while Matt had never so much as thought Carolyn had any involvement in the murder of his girlfriend, Sarah Jo DeLeon, all those years back in 1989, when she was found stabbed to death, her car abandoned and her body dumped under an overpass near the railroad tracks. It was after this phone call in which Carolyn described yet another homicide and the fact that police were looking square at her, that according to Matt Euland, as he spoke to Paul Holes on the DNA of murder, that everything made sense. Why Carolyn had called him after all these years, why she had shown up the day Sarah was murdered, and been so sympathetic. Why Carolyn had followed him all the way to Kansas State after Sarah's murder. Could the woman he had once dated killed not only Sarah, but another young woman as well? It was unbelievable, but also the only thing that made sense. And soon, Matt Euland wasn't the only person to suspect that the deaths of two young women with their whole lives ahead of them, were gone. Two young women who didn't know each other and lived in two separate states. But two young women who did share a common acquaintance. And they didn't exactly welcome this person into their lives. But instead, she had been drugged in by the men that they loved. And who exactly was this other woman who had been murdered in Independence, Missouri? And how had she crossed paths with Carolyn Kuhn? In 1994, Diana Alt was a 26-year-old mother of two, a son, Josh, who was four, and a seven-month-old daughter, Katie. Diana loved being a mom, and she was the kind of mom who wanted to be there for all the special moments in her children's lives. You know, the mom who plans birthday parties and takes pride in being a present and powerful force in the lives of her babies. She was also a working mom who had dreams and aspirations of becoming a lawyer. And she was well on her way of making her dreams a reality. According to KSHB 41 News, at the time of her murder, she was working at a law firm as a paralegal. 
Coworker and attorney Steve Coronado spoke to the outlet and recalled that Diana was a true professional who took her job seriously and worked hard. She had graduated from the University of Missouri, Kansas City in 1989, earning a business degree and then went on to obtain her paralegal certification. Diana wanted to jump in feet first and continue right into law school, but she was a mom and she wanted to be sure she could not only financially provide, but also be there for her two kids. She knew babies don't stay babies for very long and wanted to soak up all the time she could. And she was already working two jobs, one at the law firm and another at a jewelry store inside a local shopping mall. Throwing law school into the mix would take time away from her family, precious time she didn't want to give up. Her father spoke to KSHB 41 News and recalled a conversation he'd had with his daughter about her conflicting feelings and how she could make everything work, stating he had told her, Tell you what, you go back to school, I'll pay your salary. At that point, you can get your degree. You don't have to worry about going back to work. To say Diana's family was supportive of her would be one hell of an understatement. And as you'll see, it's something that has never changed. Tragically, Diana would never make it to law school because on January 31, 1994, she would be murdered before she got the chance. The chain of events that led to the discovery of what had happened to Diana were eerily familiar to Sarah Jo DeLeon's murder five years earlier. It all started to unfold around midnight on January 31, 1994, when according to Dateline, Independence, Missouri police received a call for service at the Church of the Nazarene on Truman Road in reference to an abandoned car. The car was found running with the lights on in the parking lot. According to police reports obtained by KSHB, neighbors reported a suspicious car in the church parking lot, claiming they saw two people inside the car. Another witness said they saw someone running through the field next to the church. According to an FBI press release, the car was a red 1980s model Pontiac Grand Prix. And while there was not a person in sight near the car, officers did recover a stainless steel Ruger Redhawk 44 Magnum revolver. One bullet had been fired, and two live rounds were still in the cylinder. The spent round was also found inside the vehicle. A quick run of the plates revealed the car belonged to 26-year-old Diana Alt, who lived less than a mile away. Just as it had been with Sarah DeLeon's car five years prior, Diana Alt's car was in good working condition. There was nothing mechanically wrong. So why had it been abandoned? And who the hell had left it there and took off running through a field? Officers headed over to the Alt home to conduct a welfare check. As they arrived, they heard a baby crying inside, and it appeared as if no one was home. Concerned for the baby's welfare, they made entry into the house. It was there that they discovered Diana dead on the floor from an apparent gunshot wound. She had been shot a single time at close range 
in the left side of her neck as she walked down the hallway of her home into her kitchen. According to Dateline, her children were there right next to her. Four-year-old Josh attempting to give his seven-month-old sister Katie a bottle to soothe her. Josh, who wasn't even old enough to attend kindergarten, had witnessed the murder of his mother and then tried to console his infant sister. As she crawled next to their mom, both children soaked in Diana's blood, according to the Daily Beast. The scene was heartbreaking. According to Law and Crime, little Josh told responding officers, quote, someone shot mommy. But who and why? Diana was a beautiful, hardworking wife and mother. She was loved by practically everyone who knew her. Investigators began doing what investigators do, and it wasn't long before they had a working theory. This was a home invasion robbery gone wrong, because what else could it be? But that didn't exactly make sense, since the only thing missing from the alt home was a 44 caliber revolver, the same River Red Hawk that had been recovered in Diana's car in the church parking lot, the same revolver that was registered to Diana's husband, Tim Alt. Naturally, investigators had several questions for Diana's husband, Tim, the most obvious being exactly where he was when his wife had been shot in their family home. As it turned out, Tim Alt worked the night shift for the Postal Service at a bulk mail center and was working that night of January 31st. It was verified with his employer. Investigators retraced Diana's steps the hours prior to her murder. Sunday, January 30th, 1994, just so happened to be Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl 28, in fact. According to the American Football Database, the Dallas Cowboys took on the Buffalo Bills. Roughly 73,000 excited fans packed the Georgia Dome. The game kicked off at 6.17 p.m. The halftime show was performed by country music greats, including the Judds, Clint Black, Travis Tritt, and Tanya Tucker. According to Nielsen Ratings, an estimated 90 million viewers watched the Cowboys defeat the Bills 30-13. Diana Alt was one of those 90 million. She had gone to a family member's home to watch the big game with her children and extended family leaving before the game was over to head home and likely turn in for the night. She was a hard-working mom with two kids under the age of five. The reporting is unclear on exactly what time Diana arrived home, but investigators were able to piece together what happened next through evidence found at the scene and Diana's four-year-old son, Josh. According to Dateline, Josh recalled riding home in his mom's car. It was already dark outside when they headed home. When they arrived back at the house, Diana got both of the children out of the car and brought them inside. He remembered that his mom had gone back out to the car to retrieve something. She was on her way back in the house for the second time, walking through the living room into the kitchen, when four-year-old Josh heard a gunshot 
and then witnessed the shadow of his mom collapsing. Seconds later, Josh recalled being picked up and carried carefully by someone, although he couldn't tell if the person was male or female because they were wearing a mask. This person carried Josh into his parents' bedroom and placed him down gently in the closet. He remained there, afraid for an unknown period of time, before finally emerging and going to his mother's side to find his baby sister. Little Katie was crawling right there by their now-deceased mother. And that's when Josh tried to console her with the bottle. According to the Daily Beast, four-year-old Josh would later recall to a child therapist that while he couldn't remember exactly what the person was wearing, he had seen a blonde tendril of hair peeking out behind the killer's mask. Josh's account, along with physical evidence, suggested that whoever had shot Diana had lie in wait inside the alt home, plotting and planning their attack. But why? And who had that much animosity towards Diana? Of course, they asked her husband if he had any clue, but Tim Alt maintained to investigators that his marriage to Diana was solid, and he had no idea who would want to hurt her. Diana's sister Sharon also sat down with detectives, and when she was told what Tim Alt had said, she stated, wrong on both counts, and that Diana's marriage had been nothing but problems. Sharon went on to tell police that Tim Alt had been having an affair with a co-worker at the post office, a blonde-haired co-worker named, well, you guessed it, Carolyn Coon. Tim had actually left his wife roughly a month prior on Christmas Eve to be with Coon and had only returned home to reconcile with Diana a week before her murder. Sharon also reported something else. Coon had allegedly been harassing Diana Alt. This is all starting to sound painfully familiar. According to Sharon, as she spoke with the Daily Beast, before Tim had returned home, Diana complained about phone calls from Tim's mistress including threats about raising her kids without her. And Tim's mistress had been inside the Alt family home and went so far as to allegedly leave a message for Diana inside her home, writing in blood-red lipstick on the bathroom mirror, thanks for the use of the bed, and leaving behind a single-dollar bill stuffed in a glass as if it were a tip jar. Sharon told the detective about an ongoing campaign of harassment Kuhn had been waging on her sister. Two weeks prior to her murder, at the urging of Sharon, Diana had filed a police report. She told officers she felt afraid. She had even gone so far as to change her number due to the harassing calls. Two weeks after that report was filed, Diana was dead. Investigators tracked down Kuhn. But of course, she claimed she had nothing to do with the brutal murder of Diana. And she, in fact, did have an alibi. She'd been seen at a Super Bowl party a hundred miles away in Manhattan, Kansas, on the night of January 30th, 1994. But one of Kuhn's friends came forward and revealed some very disturbing information about Carolyn Kuhn to police. 
but it seemed nothing came of it for years. I mean, sure, according to Sarah DeLeon's mother, Gail, as she spoke to Dateline, she had been notified back in Kansas City, Kansas, not only about Diana Alt's death, but also the fact that someone had given a name that was connected to both Diana and her daughter, Sarah, but it seemed as if nothing had come of it. Years dragged on, neither Sarah or Diana's family seeing anything in the way of justice. Both cases seemingly went ice cold. Days turn into weeks, weeks into months, months into years, and years into decades. Diana Alt's children were forced to grow up without the mother that adored them. Their father, Tim, and grandparents did the best they could, but a huge part of everyone's heart was missing. Sarah's family picked up the pieces and tried to push forward, always searching for answers and trying to keep their Sarah's face in the media, always wondering who Sarah would have grown up to be. By this point, she would have had a career, maybe have even gotten married and had babies of her own. But Sarah was frozen in time, forever 18, never able to fulfill her dreams because someone had ripped her life away violently. But it was that tenacity of her family to keep Sarah's face in the news and to push for answers that would eventually pay off. Fast forward to 2014 and that vigil marking another somber anniversary of Sarah DeLeon's death. As we talked about in Sarah's episode, Jeff Cheek was a 19-year-old police cadet in training when he responded to the crime scene back in December of 1989 when Sarah had been found stabbed to death. In 2014, Jeff was no longer a cop. He had retired and was working as a corporate security consultant and private investigator. But he had never forgotten Sarah never forgotten how violent the attack on her had been. According to Jeff, as he spoke to Dateline, as he drifted off to sleep in his home with the TV on, he saw that coverage of the vigil for Sarah Jo DeLeon. And he wondered, how could Sarah's case remain unsolved after all these years? Jeff, being the man of action that he is, looked up Sarah's brother and mom, and offered his services to them for free. Sarah's family, of course, agreed, and Jeff couldn't have known it at the time, but this was the beginning of an investigation that would take years and lead him to Independence, Missouri, and a whole nother family still seeking justice. He immediately started researching new DNA technology, figuring there had been a ton of advancements in the way of DNA since 1989. Maybe, just maybe, investigators back then had collected evidence from the scene that at the time the technology to test it didn't exist. But now, with all the advancements, could be tested and reveal who had stabbed Sarah. But researching DNA technology wasn't all Jeff Cheek did. In fact, he launched a full-scale investigation tracking down leads, and interviewing old witnesses. One of those witnesses was that friend of Carolyn Coons that had come forward back in 94 when Diana Alt had been murdered. 
And she wasn't just a casual friend of Carolyn's. The pair were best friends and had been for years. It was very likely that what Carolyn's friend Jamie Locke had told investigators way back then had sparked that phone call to Sarah's mother, Gail, informing her that they believed her daughter's case could have been connected to Diana Alts. What Jamie revealed to Jeff Cheek and then later on Dateline was jaw-dropping. Jamie claimed at first she, like Matt Eulin, didn't really think it was possible that Carolyn had murdered Sarah. But after Diana's death, she suspected Carolyn was responsible for both murders, and she had gone so far as to tell the police that years prior. The reason she thought her BFF was a double murderer? Let's just say she had plenty. Jamie described Carolyn, who she referred to as Carol, as smart, focused, and driven. She recalled that Carolyn had won a car two years in a row from a local radio station. The competition went something like this. A bunch of people stood with their hands physically touching the car. Whoever was the last person standing with their hand touching the car was declared the winner. Carolyn was a two-time champ. Her friend recalled that no matter what it was she wanted, a car, Matt Eulin, or Tim Alt, Carolyn was determined to get it, and she had no problem playing dirty. And it wasn't just the car or Matt or Tim. If Carolyn saw a man she wanted and he just so happened to be taken, she just stopped by the girlfriend's house and let the air out of her tires. I'm not really sure how that's going to help you win a man, but that's how things started. But they would escalate quickly. Jamie recalled that Carolyn really wanted Matt Euland, and she couldn't stand the fact that Matt was with Sarah. Sarah was stunning and smart and Carolyn seethed with envy. She saw Sarah as her rival, and Carolyn was not someone who could handle losing. She talked to Jamie about wanting to drug her and cut off her hair. Immediately after Sarah's murder, for just a split second, Jamie had considered the fact that maybe her BFF might have had something to do with it. I mean, she did notice a couple things that at the time she wrote off as a coincidence. Like the scratch she saw on Carolyn's neck the morning after Sarah was murdered. But Carolyn had explained that her cat had scratched her and Carolyn's car. You see, Carolyn's car had always been a hot mess with junk thrown all around. But right after Sarah's murder, all of the sudden her car was spick and span. Sure, that was a tad bit suspicious, but Jamie had rode along with Carolyn when she had been questioned by the police. And she didn't seem nervous. She came out of the interview happy and smiling. And besides, Carolyn had warned her to be careful after Sarah's murder, telling her that they both should be more cautious because what happened to Sarah could happen to them. Surely she wouldn't say that if she were the killer. Jamie pushed the thought out of her mind. That was until five years later. This time, it wasn't so easy for Jamie to push those thoughts out of her head. 
In fact, it was impossible because of what Carolyn asked her to do just the day before Diana Alt's murder. You see, Carolyn was furious when Tim Alt had ended his affair with her once and for all and decided to return home to his wife and kids. She had been convinced that Tim was going to leave Diana and run off into the sunset with her, where they'd live happily ever after and all that bullshit. When that didn't happen, Carolyn was beside herself. She couldn't lose Tim to Diana. You know, his wife? I mean, how dare he go home to his family? As we know from the police reports discussed earlier, she harassed Diana. But it didn't work. Tim went back home. So she called in reinforcements in the form of Jamie Locke. She asked Jamie to help her break up the alt marriage. Her grand plan? To have Jamie call Diana and tell her that she was having an affair with Tim, which of course Jamie wasn't, but that didn't stop her from making the call at the urging of Carolyn and telling Diana she was. Jamie now believed when that plan failed, Carolyn executed another the following day. She recalled to Dateline that the Monday following Diana's murder, Carolyn came to see her in person and said, She's dead. Jamie was confused. Who? she asked. Carolyn responded, Tim's wife is dead. She was murdered. Shocked, Jamie asked her friend, Did you murder her? No, Carolyn answered, but whatever you do, do not tell them anything about making that call to Diana. There's no way they can find that out. Don't tell them. It was at that moment she believed Carolyn had killed both women. She agreed to place a call to Carolyn with a wired phone, with police present to try and get her to talk about what she had done. But Carolyn didn't take the bait. Tim Alt had also met with Carolyn while wearing a wire, but again, nothing came of it. And there was another story that I'm sure Jamie didn't want to be so forthcoming with, since it involved her. But my man Paul Holes on the DNA of murder had no problem putting it all out there. It all went down on February 13, 1987 over two years before Sarah DeLeon's murder, when Carolyn asked Jamie to help her pull off a practical joke. The joke? Well, it started off familiar enough. Carolyn Kuhn was after somebody's boyfriend. So she called the girlfriend up and told her that she had planned a party at a local hotel, the American Inn in Kansas City, Kansas, and that her boyfriend was going to be there. And further, she had a surprise waiting there. Carolyn rented a limo and had it sent to pick the woman up. When she got to the hotel, there was no party and no boyfriend. At some point, Carolyn pulled out gloves and told Jamie to put them on. It was at that point that Jamie refused and dipped out. What Carolyn and Jamie referred to as a practical joke was known by law enforcement as abduction by deception. Neither woman was charged in that incident. However, Kansas City police 
are still to this very day asking anyone with information about that incident to come forward. Another woman had spoke to police in 94 and recalled how she too had been harassed by Carolyn. Her name was Erin and back in 1986, she was still in high school. She began dating her now husband Jay that year and just a few weeks after their relationship began, her mom told her that a blonde woman had been in the driveway of their family home in the middle of the night screaming like a banshee, you blonde bitch, stay away from Jay, he's mine. At first, she just dismissed it, but that's when shit really got weird. Not long after that first incident, Jay moved into a duplex with his dad. According to Aaron, as she spoke to Paul Holes, Carolyn then bought a duplex across the street from Jay catty-cornered so she had a good view of Jay's house. She would watch the house and follow Aaron home. Jay and Aaron were young and in love, so there were times Aaron didn't leave until the wee hours of the morning. But it didn't matter, because Carolyn Kuhn would still be there waiting and follow her. It all came to a boiling point one night when Erin went to a party with several of her girlfriends. Carolyn followed her to the party and then proceeded to sneak up behind her and pour a beer over her head while screaming that old tired line, You blonde bitch, stay away from Jay. Erin had a beer bottle in her hand and hit Carolyn with it, defending herself. And then a fight broke out between the two girls. While boys from the party tried to break it up, someone we're quite familiar with at this point was there, egging Carolyn on. According to Aaron, it was none other than Jamie Locke herself. Interestingly enough, a note from the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department to the FBI obtained by Paul Holes reads in part, The revisit to this investigation has revealed a new subject of interest. This person is Jamie Locke. Miss Locke was the best friend of suspect Carolyn Kuhn, and it has been revealed that Locke accompanied and assisted Kuhn in other activities and behaviors similar to stalking the wives and or girlfriends of men romantically involved with Kuhn and Locke. Um, it's that last part for me. Men romantically involved with Kuhn and Locke. Had Jamie involved Carolyn in stalking the girlfriends of men she was interested in? Is that why she had been so willing to assist Carolyn? You know what they say about birds of a feather. I have a feeling there's a whole lot more to that story. But so far, it's not something that has been publicly released. To be fair, I do want to point out that Jamie Locke has only been considered a person of interest and not a suspect in either case and has never formally been charged with anything. There's another important part in that letter, the whole bit about the revisit to the investigation. With everything Jeff Cheek had discovered in 2014 when he presented his findings to the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, they agreed 
to reopen Sarah DeLeon's case. According to Dateline, around that same time, Diana Alt's family was also informed that her case had been reopened, likely due to Jeff Cheek, who had not only helped Sarah DeLeon's family, but also turned over a 70-page report to officials in Missouri concerning Diana Alt's case. According to the Epic Times, Jeff Cheek had been right about that DNA evidence and Kansas City police received forensic testing technology from the FBI. Things went quiet for nearly two years, when finally in May of 2016, KCKPD held a press conference and announced publicly that they had an official suspect in the murder of Sarah Jo DeLeon after nearly 30 years. And while they didn't name Carolyn Coon, if you knew the story, you knew exactly who they were talking about. They revealed that this suspect was also linked to a 1987 abduction case, as well as the murder of Diana Alt in 1994. And further, the detectives believed the woman involved was romantically linked to men in both DeLeon and Alt's lives, and quite possibly had been a, quote, romantic rival, according to KCTV 5 News. After all these years, both families finally had some hope that they would see justice. Months later, on October 16, 2016, Carolyn Kuhn, now Carolyn Heckert, was arrested and charged with the first-degree murder of Sarah Jo DeLeon. At the time of her arrest, Carolyn Kuhn Heckert was 48 years old, married, a mother of two daughters, and according to People magazine, had been a longtime local real estate agent. In other words, Carolyn had got to live out her dreams and goals, while Sarah and Diana had both been taken away before they got the opportunity. You know that whole thing about justice delayed being justice denied? It's so damn true. And justice would be delayed yet again because there would never be a trial or even a plea deal. According to Fox 4 KC, Carolyn Kuhn Heckert spent only six months in jail before she was free as a bird yet again, because during a preliminary hearing on the case, Judge Aaron Roberts of Wyandotte County dropped the charges against Carolyn after he determined there was insufficient evidence to move forward. According to the DNA of murder, Judge Roberts didn't think Carolyn could have drugged Sarah's body. From the car parked on the side of the road to the other side of the piling near the railroad tracks where she was found. But Paul Holes visited the scene and actually did an entire reenactment, which can be viewed on Season 1, Episode 3, titled Taken in the Night. According to his calculations, it was only 14 feet, downhill, on gravel, and Carolyn was bigger, thicker, and taller than Sarah. Hulse went on to say that a single female could have easily moved her, but based on blood evidence, it was also possible that there were two offenders. But that whole two-offender theory doesn't really rule out Carolyn Heckert anyway 
Now does it? I mean, she had a history of bringing along a friend for the ride. And even more disturbing, according to Sarah's family, Judge Aaron Roberts had made some comments which they considered to be sexist. On the Justice for Sarah Facebook page, a post read in part, At the preliminary hearing April 7, 2017, Judge Aaron Roberts chose to insert his sexist view that a, quote, cat fight would have caused each girl to have more scratches. How he viewed a blow to Sarah's head and her having over 20 stab wounds to be defined as a cat fight was shocking and disappointing, to say the least. A cat fight? Is this guy serious? Sarah DeLeon was struck in the head and brutally stabbed to death. And while Carolyn wasn't charged in the death of Diana Alt, evidence of these so-called romantic rivals that Carolyn had attacked was presented. Diana Alt had been shot and killed in front of her children, and police believed the person responsible had made entry to her home and sat there waiting to strike. This was no catfight. But regardless of how anyone felt, the judge had the final say and the charges were dropped. Needless to say, both families were devastated by the news. But that's not the end of this story. Because on March 28th of this year of our Lord 2022, the FBI announced that they were reopening the case of Diana Alt. Thank you, Federal Bureau of Investigation. KSHB 41i team reported that the FBI had reviewed all the physical evidence in Diana's case and determined what could be retested and what hadn't been tested at all. The outlet spoke to FBI Violent Crime Task Force agent Jonathan Spaeth, who stated, Based on new developments in testing, and in consulting with the FBI's forensic laboratory, we submitted new items to them for testing. Agent Spaeth added, We're hoping with the collaboration with the FBI, independents, and the public that we can get this solved. But there is no one holding out more hope for justice than the families of Sarah Jo DeLeon and Diana Alt. To this day, both families push for answers and support each other in their quest for justice. Justice that is long overdue. Both families still maintain a social media presence and keep the public updated on each case. You can find them on Facebook at Justice for Sarah and Justice for Diana. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. If you have any information about the murder of Diana Alt, or if you just so happen to be in the area at the time and saw something, please come forward and speak out. No matter how small or insignificant you might think your information is, it could be crucial to solving Diana's case. Call the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or submit information at tips. Dot .fbi.gov I'll be following this case closely and bring you updates as they become available. 
As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Believe me, you don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.